what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me is Chris Fry. We are both co-founders and co-directors of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, as always, how are you doing? I am doing well. Uh, I'm excited because we've kind of hit, you know, knock on wood, cross fingers, kind of the post-pandemic release of movies. Things seem to kind of be like, okay, now we're going to start back. We're getting into the summer season. We're going to be talking about, uh, you know, a Marvel MCU movie. Unfortunately, eventually, we're probably going to be talking about Top Gun Maverick. Oh, you um, know we're going to be talking about Top Gun I mean, Maverick. I, I like the fact that movies are yeah, now big kind movies. of coming out. And things, you know, things, you still got to be cautious, but things are returning cautiously to normal. So that's, well, that's exciting. Uh, Doctor Strange, which is the movie we're going to be, one of the movies we'll be reviewing today, made $185 million this weekend. So it did, now, it did pretty good. Is that more than uh, No Way Home? Did I mean I no. know No Way Home did really well. No Way Home did like two twenty. Okay. It set like records. It was okay. like the second biggest opening like of all time. Gotcha. Doctor Strange pretty good up there though, one eighty five mm-hmm. and uh I think better, a little better than everybody expected. Definitely better than what recent Marvel movies have done. So I, I think you're right. I think we have kind of got past that cusp pretty much now. I could go on my whole soapbox <laughs> about what's left outside of Marvel movies and other things. Cause unfortunately they're not doing good at all. Right. Um, and I think that's, I think the pandemic did kind of hurt non blockbuster movies by got you uh, making the multiplexes say, Hey, we need to just keep pack every screen with the latest Marvel movie and push out all these little movies and let them just go online, which is not always the right way to show these. So it's a little mixed bag, but anyway, we, we digress. Uh, let's, let's talk about what we're doing in our show today. Okay. Um, we are going to be reviewing really three films, but two main films that you and I'll both be reviewing. We'll be talking about, as we just mentioned, the latest Marvel movie, Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. And then we'll also be reviewing, uh, a film with a also equally long title, the unbearable weight of massive talent starring a Mr. Nicholas cage playing Nicholas cage. And we'll be discussing that film. Chris will also have for us a, a little kind of mini review of The Northman. That's the latest David Eggers film that he'll be discussing for us. And then we'll end the show with a recommendation that each of us want to make of a film that we want to uh, consider or recommend that you check out if you're looking for something new to watch. The intern has just pushed me a note. Oh, um, okay. David Eggers is a writer. Uh, Robert Eggers is Oh my gosh. The film okay. Guy. Thank so. you, intern. I completely <laughs> messed up my Eggers brothers. Um, so Robert Eggers Robert, is the yes. director of The Northmen. He was also the director of The Witch and The Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of mastered the... The whatever films. So <laughs> yes, two two word films. That might be in his contract. It always has to every have film the word has the. to be a the something. Right. So yeah. So we'll have a uh, Chris's take on that. I did not get a chance to uh, check that out, um, but um, Chris will be discussing that film for us in a little bit. 
But Chris, we do have two other films that you and I both did see and want to discuss and review. So let's go ahead and jump right into our first one. It is the one that did make quite a bit of money at the box office this weekend. Uh, pretty, uh, I'd say by a lot of fans, kind of eagerly anticipated film. Uh, also by the fact that its director, Sam Raimi, kind of returns to his superhero um, background in filmmaking and gets to uh, regale us with some of his uh, craftsmanship in the latest film, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Every night, I dream the same dream. begins so chris if i were to read just the description you know as it stated for dr strange in the multiverse of madness this is what the film is about according to imdb dr stephen strange cast a forbidden spell that opens the doorway to the multiverse including alternate versions of himself whose threat to humanity is too great for the combined forces of strange wong and Wanda Maximoff. Wanda Maximoff played uh, by one of the Elizabeth Olsen, Olsen, one of the Olsen sisters, has kind of uh, really become a mainstay in the Marvel Universe for her portrayal of Wanda Maximoff, also known as the Scarlet Witch. We last saw her in WandaVision. Yes. The television show on Disney+. Mm -hmm. But in this film, uh, we we jump right back, Chris, into the multiverse. Uh, This is a concept that was introduced, I think, with the last Spider-Man movie. This idea that there are multiple parallel universes out there, a a multitude of them, um, and that you can jump between them somehow. And we're introduced to a character in the film who, that is her whole role, is... um, Cachita Gomez plays America Chavez, and basically she has the power to go between these universes. And that's kind of a conceit that we go with in the film. Chris, I, uh, you and I were not the biggest fans of the latest Spider-Man movie, which was surprising because I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, but I still found it somewhat lacking. I enjoyed it a little more than you did, but I still walked away with more misgivings than not. So I don't know if that's because we're just not in the whole multiverse thing or we just didn't care for that movie by itself. So, Chris, asking you, I'm guessing you didn't have the highest expectations going into this film because I think you've been kind of burned on Marvel the last few (laughs) rounds anyway. I didn't hear a lot of eager and anticipation from you in seeing this. But having seen it now with Sam Raimi as the director turning back, do you feel like bringing that director back into the fold – made this experience, made this film work or did it work in spite of it or did it not work at all? Kind of where, where did you go with this? Yeah. So, okay. We'll say right off the bat, Alan and I are going to do a little bit of a spoiler talk. Oh yeah. We'll, we're going to save that. So we're going to, you know, we're going to sit here and discuss this movie, but we'll try to dance around spoilers and then we're going to do spoiler talk. And if you don't want to hear, if you haven't seen the movie, and you don't want to be spoiled. Just fast forward until you hear us starting to talk about Nicolas Cage stuff. Or yeah, you hear the we, trailer If you that. hear the words Nicolas Cage, yeah. you have skipped far yeah. enough into the podcast. Because um, yeah. some of the things that will go into the review to really talk about it would be helpful to spoil. So we'll, we'll wait on that, though. Um, initially, here's the thing. Um, I have seen some Sam Raimi films. I saw the original three Spider-Men that he did. I saw uh, Army of Darkness and Evil Dead. So I've, I've seen you know some of his previous work. And he does, you know 
he does kind of have a signature, I guess, kind of style. Um, I applaud both him for coming to do this and Marvel for taking a chance on kind of trying to jigger their formula. You know, they mm-hmm. did it with Taika Waititi directing Thor and Ragnarok, which for a lot of, a lot of people didn't like it. I liked it, mm-hmm. but it was just so like kind of outside what they were expecting. And it was kind of more of a comedy than, a you know, mm-hmm. but um, I, I really liked that. The Eternals, you and I discussed that on the show. Um, they brought in Chloe Zhao, who did um, Nomadland, not a superhero type film director, mm-hmm. but they had to direct that movie. I was let down in that film because overall I just saw so much potential that didn't quite kind of nail it or something, but I don't blame that on her because she did a really good job with, you know, her and her cinematographer with the visuals. So it was like, good job on you Marvel for like taking a chance, you know, it didn't overall work, but it was, you know, interesting. So here with this, I feel like they were, again, they could have just gone with Scott Derrickson, the same director who did original Dr. Strange and brought him in and, you know, there we would have it. But instead they took a chance. Um, I don't overall the film overall did not work for me. Okay. Um, but I do I am glad that Sam Raimi they brought they tried to at least freshen up the formula. Um the thing is to me this felt like nothing more than an extended WandaVision episode that was initially cut from that Disney Plus series for like time and for good reason because it didn't really add anything. Um <laughs> that's that's what I feel like this kind of was. Um, so the thing that kept me vaguely engaged with the film was the fact that Sam Raimi would do some kind of, you know, kind of nutty things every once in a while. And you'd be like, Oh, okay. That's, you know, but overall there just was kind of nothing, nothing for me. So I was hmm. in a sense kind of bored at sometimes. So wow. that's my kind of initial take on the multiverse of madness. And, uh, you know, from a standpoint, a story standpoint, it does not help that we had into the spider verse and then we had everything. And then this year we've had everything everywhere all, all at, at once, once yeah. that kind of deal with the multiverse concept. So this one just felt like mm-hmm. really unimaginative to me or not. They just didn't like the actual multiverse. I mean, you put it in the title that didn't to me kind yeah. of really play as much as it should. I, I, I don't know. So those are my initial thoughts. What are, what are yours? Um, I had a really good time with this movie. Okay. Mainly because I was just able to have fun with it. And I think, yeah, yeah. Did it do anything creatively with the multiverse? No, not really. I don't really care. Cause I, I don't like that concept. Oh, I'm not a fan okay. anyway. I, I felt like the film succeeded for me in being entertaining and by entertaining to me means surprise me a little bit, which the film did for me. The it film, did. yeah, okay. it, the film did go in some directions I did not expect. And now, can you address those without doing spoilers or no? Um, I think, in general, the conceit of the villain, okay, was surprising to me, so that kept my attention. Okay, not I did not know but that's revealed pretty early on. Oh yeah, no, it's revealed okay. early on, but okay. that still made the whole experience surprising for me. Okay. You know, so we'll, we'll yeah we'll address that. I mean, if you go into a film <laughs> and you're expecting one type of film, and then it's like within the first fifteen minutes, you're like, oh, this is going to be a different kind of film. Then that to me is. That's good. That's engaging. That's ex- that's exciting. Okay. I thought the performance of said person that ultimately was deemed as a villain mm-hmm. was really good. So okay. I enjoyed that. Okay. Um, and I did enjoy the Sam Raimi-ness of it all. I think it kind of played within I mean, I've heard some people online being like, oh, this should have been rated R or whatever. No. Okay. Look, it was, yes, it did 
dance in the horror ca- territory a little bit more. Yes, it did feature some a little, I won't say gruesome, but a little more uh, interesting things. But it still played within the Disney Marvel banner. It just went right up to the edge. And I'm cool with that. I like the fact that it was taking a few chances. I mean, it's definitely um, it's definitely PG-13. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, it, yeah, it's definitely, and I mean, I would say not one for little little kids either. Right. There's just enough in there that's a little a little upsetting or, or scary, right. but it's still played within. I mean, it, it didn't go like full out, you know, <laughs> uh, going for a rated R thing type of thing. It is right. it's still played within the Disney sure. Marvel banner, gotcha. but um, but it was still interesting enough. I think there was enough visual uh, surprises or fun elements to it. Um, and and I will say, even though the film, I think the first half of it is not great. It's a lot of exposition. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of setting up what's happened before and why it's happening now. And a lot of these, well, you got to have this person to do this thing to make this thing happen, which I never care for. I never like it to get bogged down the mechanics of it. But I will say the final half or definitely the final third, I thought was just fun. It was a lot of a lot of mayhem, a lot of things happening, a lot of uh, kind of creative action sequences at times. Overall, I just walked away feeling entertained, and I thought it was fun. I was happy that this film, even though it relied so much on knowledge of other things, properties, and series, and films, which I don't care for. I think a film should stand on its own. But I like the fact that at the end of the day, it did just kind of, yep, air, and we're done. This is the, the story's done, you know, type of thing. It <laughs> tried to throw a little tile teaser out there, which I thought were kind of dumb at the end, but... Overall, the story kind of kind of gave some some closure to you it. Know, so. I'm hearing everything you're saying, mm-hmm. and I'm totally agreeing with you. But it's like yes, and that's why this film's terrible. Oh, and it's, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> yeah, because but not terrible. I mean, I was yeah, mild, I was strong. mildly yeah. entertained. Yeah. But like you know, giving a pass on the film that relies so heavily on Wandavision, mm-hmm. um, which you know you and I both seen. Um, but you take, if you, I would be curious to go, but my wife had seen it. So that didn't, that example didn't work, but curious to go with somebody who had no idea what that series was, mm. but was a Marvel fan and had gone to, you know, see the movies and see this and just be like, okay, I don't, I don't get it. You know, I don't know if, or maybe they would, and they would be more entertained because they don't already know mm. everything. Like, I, I don't know. I was just so, I was ultimately just so bored um, hmm. with that whole. See, I never got bored thing. with and it because they were yeah. so reliant on it. And I, and you being more familiar with Marvel stuff than I am, um, that character of America Chavez just irritated me. Well, okay, I will say that I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely will get to my faults of the film, and I think her character was really poorly handled. Oh my gosh, yeah. terrible and. It has nothing to do with the actress. No, no. You know, I, you know she was doing what she it's needed you, to do. It's just you introduce her out of the blue. You give her a kind of a vague, vague power ability. Still don't really understand what she's doing and why. No, and and it, yeah. No, it, and it I like, very, okay, I'll, I'll yeah. do, we'll do some prayer because, you know, it sounds like I'm doing nothing but saying negative things. Um, I do like the fact in the opening of the film they kind of throw you into an action sequence Mm -hmm. with her and you're like, okay, I don't know who this is, but okay. But it does play a role kind of in the whole movie. So I do praise how they open the film, but her character just, just very thinly written and surprisingly goofy. Like 
her power is that she can open up portals yeah. with a star, which just so happens to be what is the character outfit for her. She has a star on the back yeah. of her jean jacket. Oh, no, and it's I, just like, I agree. I just... Her, was, her character didn't make any sense. No. And it, was, it was a little too too silly the way it was set up. And you're right. It's nothing with the actress. The actress no, no, good. no, no, no. It just, it's just... And she is a character from the comics, but oh, she's okay. a very different character in the comics, which is, I think... Part of the challenge as well, a little bit. Well, so. and it reminded me, you know, we're talking about Doctor Strange, but what it reminded me of in a weird way is kind of a Doctor Who episode where yeah. you have Doctor Who, this would be Doctor Strange, and they're the most important thing. And then you have this little side character that doesn't really matter, is very disposable usually because Doctor Who cycles through, you know, sidekicks. And that's what this person was. But like, even they mm. <laughs> are better developed. Yeah. Than America no, Chavez. I'm, I'm so, so with you completely like, there. Yeah. yeah, so it just... Um, that hurt the film. I think that... And honestly, about a third of the way through the film when her role was kind of becoming a little integral to the story and I was starting to lose a little faith in the film okay. uh, early on because of that. Um, luckily, I think she just becomes a plot device later in the film. It's like, okay, we need to get her. <laughs> and like, I don't really understand why. Like, right. It's really kind of unclear exactly why somebody needed that person, but I just went with it. Like, okay, yeah, they're trying to get that person because then they can do whatever, who do they need to do? And that's fine. Once she became just kind of a simple plot device of we have to protect this person or we have to get this person, depending on which side of the coin you're on. I'm like, okay, good. I got it. That That's her role. That is the device she plays in this film. Fine. Um, but yeah, her, her character was not handled well. I feel like, film. Marvel in this phase that it is in post infinity war. I feel like they don't know what the heck they're doing. Well, and maybe, I, yeah. maybe that will be justified. Maybe that's how I'm supposed to feel. <laughs> and I'm supposed to feel the madness of the multiverse and everything's on. But I just feel like they don't know what they're doing. And this film, it seems like the only thing they know they need to do is do nostalgia. And they really drove that into the ground with no way home with this one. They're not doing nostalgia, but yeah. it's heavy reliance on something that has come before. So not exactly nostalgia, but WandaVision was very successful for them. It was their very first series that they had done on Disney plus that, you know, Marvel was in. And I feel like it's like anything that is wholly kind of original and new, which unfortunately the Eternals was that, and it didn't somehow work, but um, yeah, it's just like, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. And I felt like this one was just fell into the same thing. So, yeah, I agree. I, I don't think, I don't feel a master planet place, but I'm actually okay with that because I think I would be mm-hmm. if the movie could stand on its own, which I don't feel like it can. If they, yeah. if the WandaVision component wasn't there and this was just kind of a crazy action movie with some of the sequences you describe and Raimi's yeah. touches, the signature humor that he does, the obligatory Bruce Campbell cameo, <laughs> the Harry Housen horror look that he does yeah. kind of the song. All that stuff was that was good. That was original, but because it was so heavily reliant, it I just don't feel like it stands on its own, and that's why I can't. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, it doesn't stand on its own. There, it absolutely doesn't. Now, could they have, in a ten minute sequence, early in the film, basically made it self contained, meaning taking the part of Wanda's story that we did see in WandaVision and somehow represent it or make it in a way that it became part of this story and still said, yeah, they could have, did they need to? I mean, I know they're looking at their demographics. Like, look, everybody who's come to see this movie, saw one division. So <laughs> right. we don't need to do that. We right. can really jump right into the Which same it's story. It's just lazy filmmaking. 
Uh, lazy, it, lazy it's, writing. It's still sure. sequential storytelling for me. I, I think that's more of the angle of it. It's like, look, hey, we've got an invested audience that's already read this story. You know, if we're doing the next Harry Potter book, do we need to recreate all the Harry Potter background in the next book? No, we can pick up where we left off because everybody who read it knows the previous stories. Same idea with this. It's, it's sequential storytelling. But unfortunately, in a movie environment, people go to a movie and you typically look for a singular experience. And these Marvel movies don't provide that. They provide a, hey, cool, you're going to enjoy this movie some, but you'll really enjoy it if you saw all this other stuff. And that's, <laughs> that is a bit of a shame. I get that. But I mean, it's the same thing, you know, like I say with books. I mean, nobody goes out and buys the fourth Harry Potter book and says, I'm going to start reading with this one and just not even worry about the previous three. True. You know, because. That's that's the way sequential storytelling is done. Um, I I think the movie was a little sloppy in the way it tried to make it a complete movie or how much it brought in. Actually, a big issue I've got was how it does connect to that previous work, especially one division, because mm-hmm. I actually think it failed in bridging that connection. I got to explain that in, in spoiler, spoiler territory. Yeah. Sure. Um, I'll just say overall, when it got to the final half of the film, I was having more fun than not. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I kind of, I was able to kind of, here's the thing. These Marvel movies, I always complain about the final third of the film because I feel like it's nothing but let's just throw everything CGI against the wall. Let's just have a giant CGI battle for like 20 minutes. That's how we're going to end the movie. And I always have disliked the ending of these films more than any other part of the film. This is one where I actually can say I had more fun in that last 20, 30 minutes than I probably did even in the rest of the film. You think because of the raminess? I think I think that's where it's just like, all right, we're cutting loose. Let's have fun with this. I will just say, and I'm going to do it without spoiling, a whole concept of Doctor Strange having to um, inhabit another body for a final portion of the film, which was so random kind of disturbing a little bit and it was but also very fun it's just an example of how okay let's make this ending different let's make yeah. it very random and weird i can, and I can have appre- fun with it i'm like yeah that. yeah i'm like as soon as i knew where they were going with that whole part i'm like okay that's pretty cool <laughs> so mm-hmm. let's have fun with this and it did i that's where I, I again i'm able to walk away saying i had fun with the film um i, I will say on the on the drawbacks you know like i said i i think the America Chavez uh, character was not handled very well and was just kind of a, just really stood out in the film just as didn't feel like it was in place. Didn't feel like there was a real justification. And it was like, he's kind of corny just the way it was set up. Um, yeah. That character didn't work. I did not buy the connection to the one division series, which we'll explain in the, uh, in the spoiler section. And um, outside of that, I, I think that's my, bigger concerns with the film. Otherwise I had a really good time with it. I thought acting wise, I mean, is this Benedict Cumberbatch's finest performance? No. I mean, he kind of, he kind of just went through the paces. I mean, he, he's, he's got this character down pat. He just ran through the the paces with, it was fine. Yeah. I feel Um, like he was doing what he needed to do. It wasn't a bad performance. I did think Elizabeth Olsen was really good. Yeah. I thought she got a chance to really flex some more. She's the one that surprised me the most in all these, like, things that she's in and she, mm-hmm. her character started out movies, movies ago in this Marvel franchise, very slight character, not a lot of personality, not much to her between WandaVision and this film. I'm like, 
okay, yeah, this is like a interest, generally interesting character that she is playing really, really well. So uh, more and more uh, admiring her on that. Um, outside of that, Rachel McAdams, you know, is in the film some, and uh, she was fine. She was good. I mean, no, it's like she yeah. played a she played a little bigger role than I expected, and I thought her, the role she got to play later in the film was was interesting too. So I, I had a good time with that. So, um, see, okay, um, the problem with there again, not getting into spoilers. We'll get mm-hmm. into that in a second. So I've harped on how um, this was too reliant on Wandavision. Well, I'll harp on something else that also I fault. And the only person I fault is the people behind the writing and Disney plus and like the ideas to make it because there's a series called what if, I don't know if you mm-hmm. ever watched those. Yes, I think I did. you did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that presents something in the, what there's a, what if episode about Dr. Strange. Yes. And between that episode and WandaVision, I felt like they took those two things, squished them together and like, okay, we've got the next Dr. Strange movie, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's a double-edged sword because you're saying, oh, they know everybody who goes to see this has probably seen WandaVision. So, you know, we're great. We don't have to explain anything. Or, you know, they're, they're built in audience. Okay. But the fact that they've seen that probably means they've also seen the what if stuff. So then it's like, I, I don't know. I just felt like it was just regurgitated. Well, the only thing that made the regurgitation interesting was the fact Sam Raimi was directing right. it. I, I I actually was surprised they didn't go too deep into the what if episode that they could have. Oh, they could have. They could have because done it more. I sure. even seeing the trailers for this film, I thought, oh, they're going to totally like bring in that episode and the, what happens there. And they didn't. They hinted at it. There was a, a moment where you thought that's where they were going to go, and it didn't go there. Right. So yeah, um, no. One division's the one that to me is the. The big kind of when people have asked me this weekend, you know, if I saw it and should they go see it? And I will ask them, well, did you see WandaVision? And if they say no, then I'm like, okay, well, just be aware. <laughs> right. There's going to be some things thrown at you that may or may not make sense and you may not be on board for them. So, so I feel like we're kind of winding down the non spoiler yeah, yeah. talk, but I've got two questions I want sure to ask thing. you before mm-hmm. we do. Um, the bull that is a character that, you know, participates in the whole magical arts that Dr. Strange does. And Wong oh, yeah, do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. have we seen him before? I have never seen him before. Okay. No. Mr. Bullhead man. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of like, do what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I've never but seen him. I guess that's a Raimi touch. Maybe like I don't, and maybe he's in the cut, but I was just kind of like, huh? But I mean, I didn't mind. It didn't take me out of the film, but I was just like, okay. Yep, yeah. I didn't, I didn't there's know. Be no exp- there's a guy that walks around with the head of a bull. That's kind of, and he's, you know, he's in there a couple of times. Uh, they're in a giant magic um, sanctuary Right, where they fortress. teach you these arts. Yeah, and so yeah. I mean, the idea is they're getting people from all around the universes to kind of come. Yeah, one in one universe, people have the heads of bulls. So, right. <laughs> okay. That's all good. I just, you know, didn't no, know if I there was I was not familiar with him. I don't know if there's a comic character he's right. based on. Or and I've only what. seen the original Doctor Strange movie once. So I thought, well, maybe I missed something. Oh, no, he wasn't but, in there. Okay, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't think so. Yeah. Um, also... Were you disappointed mm-hmm. um, that there wasn't more Michael Stuhlberg? Yes, okay. absolutely. I was actually super excited Me when too. I saw him at the beginning, <laughs> like, like in a small scene. I'm like, "Oh, cool, he's back!" And then he's gone. Right. So that was okay. Because yeah, I, 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 yeah, I was, I was kind of let down. Yeah, by no, that, it was, but, it was disappointing yeah. because I thought, you know, okay, oh, I didn't know they were going to bring back Rachel McAdams for as much of a part. I'm like, that's kind of cool. And then they bring up Stuhlberg. I'm like, oh, good, he's going to be in this too, and he's not. So no, that was a disappointment. Okay. I will, I will, I will, I will give you that. Okay, that was a letdown. 
Um, overall, I did have a good time with the film. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was a little, a little zany, which I thought was good. It needed that because it did shake up the formula a little bit. Okay. That's the other thing I've told people when they ask me about it. I say, look, it's, it's, it's different. It is different. It is different. Yep. So don't go in expecting just another cookie cutter. Marvel follows this formula. It is different and it looks different and it sounds and acts different. And, uh, I'm good with that. I like that a lot. So I'm with you. I admire it. I just happen to ultimately have a better time with it than you did. So, okay, all right, let's flip over to some spoilers. I do have a couple things to talk about in yes. this area. So we are spoiling Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. And yeah. I will say right before we go, because I want people to know, mm-hmm. um, if you think I am more down on this film than Alan is, but there's things that I have to say that there are some more positives that I'll actually talk about in spoilers, but I can't mention them now. And I think you have some positive things as well in mm-hmm. spoilers. So um, just say like, if you think I'm all down on it, you just zero stars. I will say a little bit more positive about it. Just <laughs> so, uh, hang on. Chris is right. going to, Chris is going to shine, shine, share some love yeah, on the so film a little hold bit. Hold off too. on the hate mail. Okay. So here we go. <laughs> We're going into spoilers right now. Okay, here we go. So, Chris, I'll just I'll tell you um, the Illuminati. Yeah, let's talk about the Illuminati. Okay. okay. Um, so the the teasers, uh, the trailers for the film eventually did tease this idea that you're going to meet what's called the Illuminati, and they made it really painfully obvious that one of those people was going to be Professor X, from uh, which the is uh, yes, which Patrick is uh, Stewart. Patrick Stewart yeah. from the the uh, Fox uh, X Men movies, the right. original ones. Um, so the Illuminati is in the comics. It is a group of kind of the smartest people from the universe that get together and have to kind of meet about big, big, big issues, you know, that affect the whole universe. Um, so here we, we are taken to one version of a universe that does have an Illuminati that Dr. Strange has to go report to because he got caught and (laughs) they think he's a menace to the multiverse and all that. Right. And that's been the biggest thing. I know a lot of fanboys, this oh is the reason gosh. they're going to this movie. Is the they theater, see, are, they erupted in like, yeah. they were just so happy, rollicking in the aisle. So here's what I love about this whole sequence. And this is why I think this is probably my favorite sequence in the whole movie. Okay. They introduce these characters. This is about halfway through the movie. Yeah. And you get introduced to this panel of like, what, five people? I think, think so. Yeah. We've met some of them. Others we have not. But they're all playing kind of different roles. So right. we have a Captain Marvel who's played by... Uh, was Captain Marvel's friend, Monica. Right. Um, so she's African-American instead yeah. of being Brie Larson. That's yeah. right. So she she that's a different Captain Marvel. Thought that was awesome. Captain Carter, which is the Captain America played by Peggy Carter. Would have thought that was awesome, but that's also in What If. But whatever. True. They pulled that from What If. But it was good to see it kind of it, in the yeah, flesh. But and it was a that. very minor thing. It's yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Um, we have a character called Black Bolt. I don't know if you were familiar with. <laughs> no. And the combination of my general kind of you know, WTF and my wife's WTF. Yeah. Like that was amazing. Black and I'm Bolt, like, I don't yeah. know what this is, but it's Black kind of Bolt funny. is a, an inhuman, which was a short lived TV series on Fox oh. that only lasted like a few episodes. Okay. He can't speak. Well, he can, <laughs> Oh, he can. but if he speaks, it's, his voice is deaf. Like it blows away things. The, yeah. so he can't, he doesn't speak. Got you. Um, so that's, that's Black Bolt. We okay. get to meet him. <laughs> we do. Um, and then there's of course, Professor X, who you already mentioned. Right. But then we also have Reed Richards, who is from the Fantastic Four, played um, by John Krasinski. Yes. And the theater, like, I know. I mean, I probably missed some dialogue. But look, here's the thing about this whole pro- process that I loved. Right. 
Okay. They introduce these characters and they get everybody up in arms. All the fanboys are so excited. Everybody in the audience. Oh, yes. Fantastic Four, X-Men. Everybody's here. Within 20 minutes, Wanda has murdered, brutally murdered oh, yeah. all of them. <laughs> okay. And here's the thing about that. And is I love that whole scene. I do like that as well because I appreciate it's the opposite of yeah. No Way Home. It's like right. fan service, but they're just like annihilating it. And it took a minute. Like one happened. And I think the – it like – I think maybe it goes in increasing surprise order because I think maybe one of the first ones was – I can't remember. But I felt like the first one may have been the Captain Marvel character. And you're like, oh, well. No, I think uh, Reed Richards was the was first one. Was he the one. first one? Okay. He got turned into a giant puddle of goo like on the floor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was like the first, first one. I guess I was kind of surprised. But then like the more it went on, I'm like, huh. And I, like, I applaud. I don't know if that was a Raimi touch or it was there all along in the script. But I – I do appreciate. I that. mean, I hate saying I'm 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 all cheering for the 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 brutal the murder guy, of man. like I some know. some of the cool characters, but I'm like, I just love what it what it was saying is like, oh yeah, you like it when Marvel movies do all this teasing and introduce new characters and all that. Well, guess what? We just did a whole bunch of them, and they're all dead. Well, <laughs> so. and I think it was that was refreshing to me because it was the like I said, it was the opposite of No Way Home, so yeah. it was kind of yeah, it was it was. It was something different. It actually played. It was surprising because nothing about this movie surprised me. Hmm. And except for that, because mm-hmm. I knew because of the trailer, I knew Professor X was going to be in it. And the fact that they not only killed him, but killed everybody in it was just really fun. Okay. You talked about the reveal of the villain. So obviously in this. Yeah, that's true. We kind of missed the mark on that. Yeah. Yeah. Wanda is the villain. And so the thing with that is. Yeah, in the trailer, they hint, you know, they have her say the line like, oh, you do this, and you're says, yeah. you're, I do this, and I'm seeing, you know, it's not fair. And because they had her become the villain so early in the movie, it was just like, yeah, and I know why she is, because she wants to protect, like, there was just nothing revelatory about well, that. So. I, 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 I disagree in that I, I still was generally surprised about 20 minutes in when I realized, okay, this is now the conceit of the movie. And they didn't let up from it. I kept no. expecting it to be a, okay, well, she's going to have her turn. She's mm-hmm. going to, you know, d- there's going to be an evil Doctor Strange, which is what they're going to meet. Because that's what the te- trailers were also kind of teasing along the way. The, there was gonna, the, the villain's going to be a the zombie strange. Or it's going to be a, a, a other dimension strange that, right. you know, like the one from the What If show or whatever. Right, right. That's where I thought they were going to go. And I thought Wanda's thing was just kind of a, oh, yeah, she's. She's what gets the ball rolling by her trying to get her kids, but yet it's ultimately going to go. No, and it's to the end. She is, she is, and she gets progressively except more evil. Except she does, doesn't at the end, doesn't she kind of understand that she's very end. So I don't like that because that's the same thing with WandaVision. Like if she had just remained evil and then they would have had to destroy her, I'd have been like, okay. But the fact that they give her a cop out, like it makes, I don't know. I, because her struggle had already been examined so thoroughly in WandaVision, mm. they basically did that again in this movie. And if they would have just let her ultimately be bad, that would have actually been more interesting rather than her repeat mm. her character arc from WandaVision. Yeah, um, possibly. But uh, Well, yeah. my, my issue with it is not, not how it resolved at the end. My issue gotcha. with it is that you know by the end of the WandaVision show, she was remorseful. Right. She was understanding of what she had done wrong. We did see, you know, in that WandaVision, I think the very last little teaser clip they showed is her off in like some little cabin somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And she's studying this book, which is the Darkhold. 
my issue with this is that, you know, they basically, this is the first time we've seen her since WandaVision. Dr. Strange shows up at her place, country her pasture, house. country <laughs> palace. Right. And, you know, and like within a few minutes, it's like, okay, yeah, now we've realized that, yeah, that's all a facade. She's gone full on like bad now. And mm-hmm. it's implied that just her reading this book and getting like, I guess the book is like evil book, right. evil book of magic. And it's like corrupted her. But it was such a it's such a it was such a quick thing. It's yeah. like you know, okay, so Doctor Strange has a conversation for five minutes with her, and then she reveals that yes, she's bad, and there's no gray area. It's like she hasn't progressive that way. It's like she's full on mustache twirling at this point. <laughs> yeah, I didn't buy that. I, I I don't think that was a good service to the character. I think I would have rather seen where she's trying to help strange because she feels like she should, but yet there's a part of her that's still yearning for her kids and willing to do some bad things. And she gets progressively worse as the film goes along because of her exposure to this book, instead of it just being a flip the switch, she's now evil gotcha. and she's going to stay evil the whole movie type of thing. Yeah, that, I think there would have been a more interesting way to handle her character than just immediately. She's a villain and, she stays a villain at the same level for the whole film. And I think if they had been able to show some type of progression, that would have helped me be more yeah. engaged in the film. Sure. You were saying that one of the things in the, you teased it in the first part for spoilers. I'm guessing you really liked the fact that he animated a corpse. And Absolutely. Was, yeah. I now, thought that was not only funny, but just a creative okay, thing to use. Remind in the film. me, because I've only seen the film once. I thought it was creative and I liked that part too. Why was it necessary? Okay, because here's the thing. <laughs> so they were in different universes. Okay. All right. And he had the power to inhabit. He was using the the bad dark hole right. to basically just like Wanda was doing, where she could enter the body of one of her her own counterparts in another universe. Right. Okay. Okay. The problem is he's the he came from his universe. Got you. And he's now here, but he needed to do something in the past universe without in, having to go there. He couldn't go. Okay. He needed to be here, but he needed to do something in the other universe. So he animated the, unfortunately yeah, he's okay. the version from that universe. So he can't, and he can't go back. Gotcha. The only version of Dr. Strange that was there was a dead corpse version gotcha. that he okay. buried in that building. And that just, you know, at the, at the time I didn't try to part. It made sense. And I guess because they yeah. kind of explained it, but then after the film, when I was writing up the notes where I was like, okay, that was cool. But why was that necessary? Yeah. Other than for Raimi to get to do what Raimi really likes to do. <laughs> he was, but, yeah. Okay. Dr. Strange was having to stay in a certain, the certain universe Got to do you. whatever he was doing, whether he was trying to maintain a spell, whether he was, I can't remember offhand what it was. Sure, sure, sure. He needed to be back in the 616 universe, which is his original universe, but couldn't. But the dead body corpse was, so he reanimated it, which I thought was just, yeah, yeah. not only was it cool, it was definitely a Sam Raimi. Th- I mean, that was like the hand poking up out of the grave and just, you know, and like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was very totally Sam him. Raimi. Totally. So I love that to me that just, it's not something I would have expected from a Marvel movie and it was just creative and creepy and fun enough. So, right. um, okay. and again, I was thinking that that was going to be the bad guy in the film, but no, that's actually Doctor Strange and Wanda's <laughs> the villain. So again, those are the kind of surprises that kept me really engaged with the film. I Got liked. you. Um, I think that's it for spoiler stuff. That was my three biggest takeaways. Okay. I didn't like the immediate switch to Wanda being bad and staying that way the whole film. Got you. Uh, I thought that was a real disservice to how WandaVision ended because mm-hmm. I thought she was on a trying to be on a redemptive path somewhat. Right. Um, 
I did love the whole Illuminati sequence just because it's so played with expectations and then just butchered them. And um, <laughs> literally, yeah. <laughs> and I love the the zombie strange corpse, which I thought gotcha. just added a really nice element to the ending. It made the fi- ending of the film a lot more enjoyable than most Marvel endings have been for me. So, yeah, Understood. it was different. All right. So that's uh, that's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That was our end of our spoiler section. Yes. So we're all good, Chris? Nothing yes, else you need to say? No. Awesome. All right. So we're done with spoilers, too. We're going to move on to our second review, our second film. Uh, it is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, starring a Mr. Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage. What's the worry here, Nick? You've lost some of your talent as an actor? No. What did he say? He says he loves you, but he went in a different direction. I'm done. I'm quitting acting. Tell the trades it was... Movies about the movie-making business exist. There's The Player by Robert Altman, for example. Movies that portray alternate versions of real-life celebrities also are not new. There's Being John Malkovich. With the unbearable weight of massive talent, we have an alternate version of Nicolas Cage who is frustrated with the state of his career and decides to make a party appearance at a well-paying gig because, well, why not? Alan, did this take on celebrity or alternate celebrity? Because you're playing versions of himself. Hollywood and the movie-making business, how did it, how did it play for you? Um, it played really well. Okay. I but, hear a butt coming. Well, no, it, it played on a certain surface level where it made it a fun comedy movie, fun action comedy movie. Um, I will go ahead and say that the meta-ness of the Nicolas Cage side of things, again, Nicolas Cage is playing himself in this film and he is commenting on his own status as an actor and how his public persona, uh, what people see of him. Right. Um, it took that concept and it made a fun, enjoyable action comedy movie out of it. Did it go as as wild or as deep as I wanted it to go? No. Okay. But it was still an enjoyable romp, I will okay. say, with that. Okay, so I had a really good time with this movie, okay. but it was kind of on a surface level. Oh yeah, this is fun. They're having it's really they're funny moments and there's some funny sequences and they have a great buddy comedy between Nicolas Cage and uh, Pedro, Pedro Pascal, Pascal. playing yeah. Javi. We're great. I think they are a wonderful duo. I would love to see them in more things together, actually, the way they play off each other. But I did walk away from the film saying, you know, they had really a great opportunity to go crazier and deeper and more, even more meta than they did. And they didn't. They kind of set up the premise and like, let's just have a fun, fun movie about this idea. And they did. And it was fine. So I had a good time with it. Do I regret that this was an opportunity I felt like they missed to do something more with it? Yes. But... Uh, overall, I still had a really good time with the film. I thought it was a fun, fun movie. Um, Chris, your thoughts. I'm curious so, about your thoughts. Yeah, uh, sure. So it's interesting. Um, although I stated those two movies, which I hold in very high regard, the player being mm-hmm. John Malkovich, um, you could also throw in there too. Um, <laughs> if you consider screenwriters, which I do to be celebrities or famous people, there's Adap- also adaptation, adaptation played yeah. by one Miss Nick Cage playing yes. two characters. I'm playing Charlie Which is Kaufman. a much, much more uh, in-depth and meta yes, exploration. about celebrity yeah. and mm-hmm. the cause of Hollywood. No. Yeah. Okay, now, all that being said, I do hold those in real high regard, but something about, I guess, the trailer 
made me go in with the expectation of, yeah, don't, don't expect adaptation. Don't mm. expect sure. um, being John Malkovich. This is going to be more of a, I guess because they showed a bunch of action scenes and mm-hmm. stuff. So I was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be nothing. Then turn your brain off and appreciate the fact that Nick Cage is willing to comment on himself. So I had a really good time with the film and I never, fortunately, because I'd had that expectation already kind of nipped in the bud. Yeah. I wasn't, I didn't yeah. feel any disappointment, but I totally see why you would. I, and it I wasn't, totally, it totally wasn't disappointment that. really. I, mean, I didn't walk away saying, oh, you know, I was disappointed in the film. I just, I do realize when you have an opportunity to do something at this level and to like do something so meta about show business and, and Nick Cage is just such a fascinating character. <laughs> he is. We, we get to see why he's an interesting character in this film. We don't really understand why. Right. I mean, there's no exploration of why he is the way he is. It's <laughs> nope. just, this is Nick Cage, and this is the way he yeah. treats things, and people all around him know him and know he's going to handle these things certain ways. So that was fun. I, I almost see this, Chris, as this is a, this is a meta showbiz movie for the masses. Yes. Okay. Exactly. It's like, we're going to play meta. We're going to play with a fun concept. But it's easily accessible. easy accessible. You don't need to know anything about show business to get enjoyment from this film. You don't even really have to see a lot of Nick Cage's other movies to get enjoyment. Because you can get little moments. If you've seen some of his greatest hits, you're going to be, you're going to be good. Right. Yeah. Um, If you know Face Off, (laughs) if you know The Rock, you're fine. That's all. Or Con Air plays a big part in this one. If you've seen those movies... You're good. You don't need to know anything else about him. And that's, see, I actually worry because the Nick Cage I've seen is more leaving Las Vegas or pig. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I'm pretty sure I'd have to check Letterboxd. I've actually ever seen the rock or Con Air. Wow. Um, I have, I know the the rock. I know the story. I know the stories behind them and I've seen enough like cut scenes and stuff. I know the premises, but I don't think I've actually ever seen them all the way through. Yeah. Um, but I've seen it, and I've I've seen um, what was the honeymoon in Vegas? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've seen so I've seen enough Nick Cage, and I was actually worried that it was. But you're right; it's so high level for the masses that I was still able to enjoy it and still yeah. got a lot of the references. What was really pleasing to me was at the very beginning. There's a scene where he tries to audition for a director <laughs> and he, the director just like sees him is like, Oh, Hey, and the director's trying to like go away from this place. I guess it's like at a restaurant. He's trying to get in his car and, and leave. And Nick Cage is like, Oh, I think I'm really good. And like does this audition. And the director's just kind of looking at him like, okay. Like, you know, well, the director's and, like, Oh my God, that was amazing. But he didn't get the part. He, so he kind of felt like he was just he, playing him lip service. Right. You know? I mean, it's true. Totally. And he, Nick Cage totally goes what people would assume is like full Nick Cage giving oh, yeah. this like outsized performance. And, I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't seen the movie, but that direct, he's been in a movie of that director. Yeah. It was a very like indie movie. Yeah. So in fact, they're not only referencing face off or Con Air, they reference this other movie. So Joe, I, I'll just say it's yeah, Joe. Yeah, it's and the movie you know, Joe. So well, I, I like Pig, that fact. Pig even gets a name drop in the film, doesn't it? Oh, I does think, it? I think it does. I think at one point he's talking with his agent or something like that. And he's commenting and, Oh, okay. He might've even said, well, yeah, I made a movie, this movie pig. And it was really good type of thing or something. Okay. I think that there was I didn't a name catch drop that, but it maybe well, something else too, that I didn't even realize until I was um, researching after the film, because it's been so long since I've seen leaving Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in this film that references it where he gets a beer and dives into a pool. And yeah. that's a direct, like the shot mm. is composed. Exa- and I didn't even realize that. So the fact that there's on a second watch, maybe after I watch the rock and Con Air, I may get even more things out of this film. So I just, I enjoyed it and it was nice for a change, I guess, to see a film 
that's still trying to do something more than just being an outright oh, action movie. Yeah, yeah. But it's not going to strain you too much like yeah. maybe something like Adaptation would be. So it was kind of a it was a it was a nice twist on the blockbuster, yeah, yeah. I guess for mm-hmm. me. So a, a little bit refreshing in that. Um Yeah, I, I let me go back to to just Cage himself. Sure. I thought he was really entertaining in the yeah. film. I mean, he doesn't do many straight out comedies. I think Honeymoon in Vegas, you mentioned, uh, adaptation was comedy, but it had a lot of, a lot more stuff going on beyond just comedy. Um, and then what else? And then Moonstruck, you know, Moonstruck Moonstruck. was kind of more comedy, uh, elements to it. So he has done some, um, but he's not really known for that. So to kind of just see him getting to have fun with this role and, and I thought was great. The, the partnership he had with Pedro Pascal as hobby was so good. Um, I know Pedro Pascal. I've seen him in things, um, but I'd never really seen him really get to shine yeah. as much. Like he and Nick Cage were equal star wise, oh, and they complimented each other, and they just—it was really, really fun to see them well, both working. And uh, I'll just standout scene for me. Okay, and it's a little bit t- uh, spoiled in the trailer, unfortunately, but Uh-oh. the they—they uh, they end up on an LSD trip, the two of them together, <laughs> very paranoid, and yes. have a quote, escape from, from this place over a wall. And it's just the whole scene I just thought was just, it was perfect. It was uh, playing against Nicolas Cage's action role persona <laughs> and how much these two like enjoyed each other's company. But I don't know, it was so good. Well, and so. I think that's a strength of the film. Yeah, it would have been cool to never have seen the trailer yeah. so you didn't have that spoil. But the fact that it is still so funny <laughs> so and it still works in the movie, even though once it starts, you're like, okay, I know, I know where this is going, but it doesn't matter yeah. because it's so good. Yeah. And they're so committed to it. Man. Well, and there's a, I mean, I don't want to say there's, I mean, there's nothing like shocking twist or whatever, but there are, there's one element where I was glad the story went the direction it did because I was afraid it was going to go in one direction that was kind of set up by even the trailers or the premise at the beginning was happy to see it pivot a bit. Yes. And it puts their relationship in a different status. And I liked where that status was. And I was, yeah. I, I agree. I'm there with you. Yeah. Don't want to spoil anything, but I was really surprised that that kind of But happy happened. too. Like I wanted oh, yeah. it to go that direction. I did not want it to go the direction you were led to believe it was going to be initially. Um, there's a scene where they're driving out to a, a grove or something. And it's just that whole scene was so great too, because both of them have a, they know what's going to happen next in their, but they're still just, they like each other so much. so much. And they're just like, I don't want to do this, but I, <laughs> we know we're in a movie and we have to do this. Like this well, is the next scene. So, and yeah. so there again, that whole kind of thing that we're referring to, the kind of the third act and some of the things that happen in that. And definitely the ending of the film yeah. is very adaptation. like Sure. Yes. Um, because of how that film mm-hmm. struggles with some things. So it's actually kind of re- indirectly kind of referencing that film too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, yeah, don't go moments, expecting yeah. a really brainy film, but I oh, think no. there's a lot to enjoy about Well, it. they could have gone a lot deeper on all these elements. I mean, the whole idea of con- the fact that the, there's a general conceit going through the film of their writing a screenplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Javi wants to be a screenwriter. He's Which written is the an adaptation idea. type thing. Yeah. That's right. And they dance on that just enough to make it fun, but they don't go too deep with it because right. they really could be doing a huge meta exploration of how the movie had to end this way because that's kind of what Hollywood needs you to do and scripts need to look like and all that. Right. It doesn't really go that deep. It, it keeps it very, very high level surface, but it's still very entertaining the way they did it. So I had I, a lot of fun with it. And I really, there again, kind of a, kind of a meta comment on film criticism, 
Um, I really appreciated the references to Paddington too. <laughs> Several references. That, that was that like, I laughed out loud yes, when that too. happened at that moment. And then when it was brought around at the end, I was like, well done. Like yeah. I really, I don't know. I really like that. <laughs> well, it, it's, it was brought up during the film and then it, it's a nice, um, there's some nice ending moments yeah. with it as well. I will say the the person I went to go see the movie with had never seen Paddington 2. <laughs> so they were thinking it was just truly a joke about some like bad kids movie. I'm like, oh, no, no. No, no, man. Paddington 2 is really good. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. like they're commenting on something true. Like right. it is a really good movie. Oh, and, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So uh, that was funny. Um, well, and see, there again, there again, I, you know. That's what also works for me because people just want to go see a Con Air movie of Nick Cage. You're like, oh, yeah, this movie looks funny because you see car crashes in the trailer. You go see it. And then they say this stuff about Paddington 2. And you're like, what? Like, you know, because they probably those people that are only interested in action movies probably haven't seen Paddington 2. So that's like that's another thing that's just just funny achieves. That's just funny. Let me just ask you a question. If this bothered you or not, I can't decide if this bothers me about the film. Um, It's my only real. I actually I'm not saying it's a five star film, but. Off the top of my head, I can't really think anything that so, really bothers me. About. So yeah, what? Just what tell me if, if this does or not. Okay. I love the fact that you know it's Nick Cage playing himself. He is playing himself in a very believable Nick Cage situation. Like yes. you know, he is hard up on money. You know, he he spends money way too much, and he takes this gig for a million dollars just because you know it pays. But he doesn't right. want to do it. He wants to do this big acclaimed, high profile film that he did not get. So he ends up taking this job. Gotcha. So I love how it's truly Nick Cage, like playing a Nick Cage in his own life situation. Gotcha. His ex-wife and daughter are fictional. Yeah, I actually, yes, I believe. I mean, so. I don't know that much about Nick I've read Cage up as on a it. person. He's, okay. You know, yeah, he's been married five times. I don't think he has a daughter. I don't okay. think. He I, has a son. He I has know. a son. I don't think he has a daughter. Okay. And the people playing his daughter and wife in the movie are not nothing okay. are not are at their actors. Got you. So it, unfortunately the movie really tries to hit home a very kind of poignant story about, you know, his relationship with his daughter mm-hmm. in the film. But the whole time I'm also reminding myself, okay, but that's not real. Like, yeah, everything we've seen about this film, I could believe could be a Nick Cage, like, because it made sense. It's like, it's playing against his types, talking about his money issues, talking about the fact that he takes any job that comes his way, you know, type of thing. <laughs> right. But then his relationship with his daughter, which becomes such a big crux for the film is not, is artificial. Did that bother you at all thinking about that? Or is that, did it still work for you in spite of that? I think the only reason it works for me is the kind of the nod to like adaptation and how you have to have like a, a through line between the main character and it's the almost character. like you need it. You need to add it to this movie to make the screenplay work. Right. And they acknowledge that. But again, right. they kept it on such a high level. They never acknowledge it. They right, just right. say, no, Nick Cage is, has this ex-wife and has a daughter that he's distanced from. And she, well, you know, and I will say too, I don't, I don't know, but um, I do know that these guys wrote this screenplay as kind of like proof of concept to themselves that they could do it because they'd done some TV writing, but writing a screenplay together, it was like they wrote it. And originally Nick Cage said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. And somehow money, maybe (laughs) they talked him into doing it. But I wonder if that through line of being a kind of a redemptive father or whatever, if that was kind of a necessary element to, you know, because otherwise the movie is nothing but critical maybe yeah, of yeah. him, but that kind of redemptive element kind of makes it worth doing. Well, but then, Nic- you know, Nicholas Cage's but then my question would be, 
why not do it with a son? If he actually has a son. Too close to home, maybe. maybe but yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, it, it just, you know, it, it, it bothered it, me a little bit just because it's like, I love this concept that we're really seeing Nick Cage in his life, in his real life. It's just now he's being introduced to this very um, kind of extreme situation. Right. And I liked all that. But then the whole time I'm just like, I would have liked knowing. I was kind of hoping when I met the ex-wife and the daughter, I'm like, oh, if this is really like an ex-wife of his and really his daughter... This would be awesome because it's like not only are we exploring his career, but we're exploring his personal life. But then to hear that or realize that that was all made up, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's disappointing. But uh, ultimately, I still had a really good time with the film. But that was the one element of it that I'm like, yeah, I wish, I wish maybe they had either actively addressed the fact that they kind of wrote in a daughter and a supportive ex-wife just to be able to have these moments and make it even more meta on that level would have been kind of fun to do. Right. Um, but they didn't. And uh, it was still, still kept it. Did you like the though. song at the birthday party? <laughs> oh yeah, that was fun. I mean, that was fun. Um, you know, the ending of the movie was really sweet. Sure. I thought it was very nice, very nicely done. But again, it just ruins it a little bit for me knowing that, okay, this is an actress and a made up daughter just to kind of give him that redemptive arc. Gotcha. At the end. So, um, Overall, I'm still very much in favor of Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I think it's a really fun movie. Very enjoyable. If you know anything about Nick Cage's past work or have seen any of his other films or are a fan of his work, I think you'll definitely have fun with this film. I will doesn't s- go very deep. Doesn't go too, too, uh, uh, too brainy on it, but right. it keeps it at a very high level, very enjoyable for a, a, a broader audience. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Both that film and the first film we discussed, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, are both still playing in theaters. Uh, If I were you and you were interested in seeing either of those, I would go rush out to see Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent quickly. Sure. Probably will not be along around in the theater much longer, but that also means they'll probably be available online a lot quicker too. So either way, you got some options. All right, Chris, let's take a quick little break. And when we come back from the break, uh, the only news item we've got is I want to hear your thoughts on The Northman, which is the Robert Eggers film, directed film, that uh, I haven't got to catch up with, but you did. We're going to hear Chris's uh, kind of mini review thoughts on that film. And then we'll also be ending the show with our recommendation of a film that we think you might want to check out. So with that, we'll come back in just a moment. This has been Foot Kindle Films here on The Mesh. Back in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Now, behold. He's here. King, my lady, the king. Your fate is set and you cannot escape it. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you once again. We had our reviews of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and the Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent at the first half of the show. Um, but Chris, let's, uh, jump in. We don't really have any news to share this episode. We kind of comb the internets and just <laughs> not, not a lot to report on in the world of film this time around, but I'm sure next time we get together, there'll probably be something we can talk about in lieu of that. Um, 
there's a film that we had planned to review jointly, but I could just not make it work on my schedule. So I'm willing to have you tell me about this film. Uh, I'm still planning on seeing it regardless, because no matter what you tell me, (laughs) I will still go see it because I am interested in this film and the director uh, behind it. It is The Northman, directed by Robert Eggers. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Robert Eggers did The Witch and did The Lighthouse. Two films that even though um, I really liked The Witch, I had problems with The Lighthouse, but I still admired just how unique it was mm-hmm. in its style sure. and, 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 and filmmaking. Then I'm still curious enough to go see this third film, The Northman. But let me hear your thoughts, Chris. Uh, tell, me, tell me a little bit about, about The Northman. The Northman being an action-filled epic following a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. Tell me, tell me some thoughts. Tell me some things that stood out to you with the, the Northman. So as with most Robert Edgar films, I mean, he's only made two other than this one, but the performances, the production design, the costumes, the cinematography, they were all, you know, a feast for the eyes. They were all top notch. Um, and the, some of the people that are in this film, you have Alexander Skarsgård, playing the guy who's out for revenge. Uh, his name is Amleth. Um, then you have Nicole Kidman playing his mom, mm-hmm. Anna Taylor-Joy kind of playing a love interest, which Ethan Hawke playing his father, who is unfortunately dispatched early on in the film, but that's not a spoiler. That's the whole reason he's out for revenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you have Willem Dafoe, who was also in The Lighthouse. Um, Anna Taylor-Joy in The Witch. So you have a little bit of continuity with some of the actors that uh, Robert Eggers likes using. What really marked this film as being different from the other two that we've mentioned in his filmography is the scale, the budget, mm-hmm. and the cast. You know, he's got a lot more people in this film and a lot more stars, you know, all the people I just mentioned. Um, and I feel like, and I think there's been a little buzz on Twitter that maybe this was a little bit of struggle for him because I don't think he got final cut necessarily mm-hmm. on the film. Um, but I think it's still successful. I will say that for me, you know, we've talked before about the different types of films I like. I'm kind of a sci-fi nerd. Um, I don't really care for period pieces, um, mm-hmm. you know, or just like with costumes like, you know, princes and stuff like that. English period pieces, not my bag. This film, generally, I wouldn't be interested in it because it's kind of the kind of like a take on like the Conan Barbarian type story. A guy runs around, does a lot of killing. And yes, this is a very violent movie, mm-hmm. very graphic, a lot of going into little small communities like villages and just slaughtering everybody there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so very, very violent. Um, but that being said, it felt true. I think that's one thing Robert Eggers is always able to succeed in is that his stuff feels accurate, okay. historically accurate. So I'll give it that. Um, there's a relationship between Amleth and Anna Taylor-Joy's character, Olga of the Birch Forest. <laughs> um, and it was interestingly portrayed, and I would have liked for there to be a little bit more of Taylor-Joy in it. Mm-hmm. But that's that's not their focus. Their focus mm-hmm. is on Amleth and his journey through this whole film. It's kind of like you know a quest film, um, much like I wish I could have had both a little more of Defoe and Ethan Hawke, but mm. that's not what the film's interested in. You know, sure. so those were some disappointments of mine, but it's just the because of the way the story was gonna play out, you know, that's that's how it was gonna play out. Um, but I liked it and I would encourage people that like kind of Robert Eggers' house brand of historical stories 
to go see this um, for me. And you know, you better hurry up. Cause like Alan mentioned with Dr. Strange coming out and uh, top gun about to come out, this film is probably going to be leaving the multiplex pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And I think if you like these type of big screen, you know, action movies with historical bent on it, you know, if you like seeing Braveheart or if you actually saw the last duel in the theater, the Ridley mm-hmm. Scott film, like, yes, make an effort to go see this <clears throat> because it does benefit from the big screen. Um, but I can see also it is really dense. There are subtitles used sometimes because they use like some of the the language of the areas that they're in, which mm-hmm. can be, you know, maybe a little bit of a sure. letdown for people. But um, ultimately I would kind of slot it in between the witch, which I like a lot and the lighthouse, which I was like, you were saying less impressed. So somewhere it falls in between the two of those. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting to note too, um, Robert Eggers has said about the films that he's made thus far when he's been on the press tour for the Northmen, people have asked him about like, well, you know, are you interested in doing a movie taking place in modern day? And he said, no, hmm. no nothing whatsoever. I'm interested in, there's so many stories of the past or areas to explore. And he likes kind of making more <clears throat> historical, fantastical films from mm. the past. So that's just okay. kind of a person. So that's interesting that you have somebody that that's their major area of interest. Sure. So I thought that was uh thought that was interesting. Um, last thing I'll say, um, and this isn't a spoiler, or mm-hmm. it was for me, but I don't think it's for other people. And it, depending on how you like uh, plays and theater, you may be more interested in seeing this film. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Well, while watching the film, I appreciated it, but thought the story was pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. almost disappointingly so, because it's like, Guy's dad gets killed in the first five minutes. The whole rest of the movie he spends trying to avenge himself. And then ultimately, guess what? There's some revenge happening. Um, But then after the movie finished, and I did a little bit of research online, I had kind of the hand-to-forehead emoji moment Mm -hmm. when I read that Prince Amleth, which if you think about that word, is actually kind of like an anagram or something, switching around letters, but Hamlet legend that was co-opted by one Willie Shakespeare in an off-Broadway show, off mm-hmm. show called Hamlet. And Eggers took this old, old story and kind of did some tweaks on it and mm-hmm. made me appreciate it. So apparently at one point there is this like Norse legend of Hamlet that was apparently that, but then William Shakespeare took it and kind of made it Hamlet and then adjusted it to his modern time and then made Hamlet. So then hmm. Robert Eggers has said, oh, I'm going to take that original story but I'm going to kind of regress it back to the actual legend itself okay. in theory. Right. And then I'm guessing he probably tweaked some things with it as well. But hmm. that was, that was like, Oh, interesting. In this modern day, you know, for him to be interested in doing something like that, I, I have to give him kudos for. So that's my thoughts on the Northman. Not a perfect film. Won't mm-hmm. make my, you know, top 10 or whatever the year, but um, definitely a genre film. And uh, I think it is worth seeing if you're a fan of Eggers or if you like those kind of big screen big adventure spectacle, movies, spectacle yeah. movies. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Well, good. Well, thank you for that. I'm still going to go see it. Okay. Yeah. But I think you that's should. That's The Northman. Hopefully, and, me uh, telling you it had some no, it, it, hookings it, it, it with Hamlet. It either hurt nor helped. Okay. So I'm, okay. I'm just, just as interesting. fine to go see it as I was before. So good. Okay. That is The Northman, as Chris mentioned, playing in theaters as we record this. But. May want to rush out there to get it because right. it uh, may not be long for this world in the theater business. I'm afraid. Uh, okay, so that's what we're going to do news wise. Again, we didn't really have any other news to share on this episode, but 
Let's go ahead and move right down into our recommendations if we can. This is where Chris and I both share a recommendation of a film that we either recently caught back up with or recall seeing. Could be a new film, could be a classic film, could be anything in between, but something that is available online for viewing or rental or streaming, and we wanted to share it as a recommendation for you. So Chris, you've been talking for a little bit. I'll go ahead and do mine. Uh, My recommendation of a film, I think, think you might have recommended this i don't okay. know if you did or not it's if you did it was a really long time ago <laughs> okay um but i know you've seen it i just don't recall your thoughts on it okay um stumbled across a film i've been meaning to catch up with for quite a while and uh just needing a good dumb comedy just want something funny something that i didn't really have to think a lot about um, I've always been a big fan of the more absurdist comedies, the naked gun, the airplanes, the, hmm. some of the, when done really well. Sure. There's been a lot of them that were done that were poorly, poorly. <laughs> I think <laughs> like the whole scary movie franchise oh. or some other ones that just never, I just don't never rose to the level that the originals did, but you give me the original naked gun, you give me the original airplane. I am normally terribly on board for those films. So going back to see the film, uh, this was a film from, gosh, I had the date right up here. It's not just a, uh, several years ago. Uh, it was 2014. Okay. Uh, it is the, quote, romantic comedy film, They Came Together. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, that's great. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I had not seen this film yet until just a few days ago. It's right up my alley. It is directed by David Wayne. Written by David Wayne and Michael Showalter, both from the the old MTV sketch comedy show The State. David Show, uh, Michael Showalter just did The Eyes of Tammy Faye. He directed that. <coughs> Sorry. David Wayne has, uh, I forgot what one of the last movies he did He's was. He's Big but, Sick, wasn't he? Oh, I think that was Showalter as oh, well. that was Showalter. Yeah, Showalter okay. did The Big Sick as oh, well. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, Not David Wayne. David Wayne did... Uh, he did what? Is that what Hot American Summers? David yes. Lane? Okay. Yeah, he did the uh, and the sequel to the, it the film and the sequel to it, the sequel uh, miniseries. Anyway, these guys are great. I've yeah. always enjoyed their style of humor, and knowing it's Paul Rudd starring <laughs> along with Amy Poehler as Joel and Molly, it is a complete takeoff lampoon of a romantic comedy. It hits every cliche moment you can imagine from a traditional romantic comedy film, and skewers it and. It's mostly successful. I'd say 75% of the gags and jokes really, really work. The other 25, it's just like a, it's just like airplane. <laughs> not every jet gag works. Sure. When you're throwing a gag every minute on the screen, not every single one's going to hit at the same rate. This one has a pretty good success rate. So I'd say it's funnier more than it's not. Gotcha. Um, and again, I just, I like the actors involved. I mean, you've also got Bill Hader in there, which I love his role in the film. Colby Smutter, Smulders, Ellie Kemper. I mean, it just goes on. Michael Ian Black. Um, Christopher Meloni, Meloni playing a really uh, self-deprecating part as the boss of a company. Um, and he has a very interesting scene at a Halloween party. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but overall, the story, uh, the claim, uh, the conceit of the story is that Molly owns this quaint little sweet, you know, sweets candy shop. Joel works for a gigantic candy company, threatening to shut her down. They meet, fall in love, break up, and blah, blah, blah. So again, it is a very <laughs> stereotypical, like, playing with this formula. It is absurdist. So just, you know, understand that getting into it. It's not just a light comedy. It is, right. there are moments and scenes that are just completely out in left field and very, very absurd. Um, 
there's what seems like a, this is a good barometer to know if this is a film you would enjoy or not. There's a scene with Paul Rudd at a bar talking to a bartender that goes on for way too long, <laughs> painfully long. And it's just this constant back and forth of tell me about it. And you can say that again, back dialogue between a typical, what you would see somebody who settles up to the bar after their bad date or bad day talking to a, <laughs> friendly bartender uh, behind the bar. If that kind of scene works for you and you can enjoy this just <laughs> looping of dialogue between these two for like minutes on end. Awesome. You're on board for this film. If that does not work for you, uh, the film's not going to work probably as a whole either. So anyway, I had a really good time with it. Chris, I know you've seen this fan of this movie. I am a fan okay. of this movie. I think I did recommend it, but Thank you for recommending it again and talking about it because I want to see it again. Yeah. So that's that's the benefit of you know these recommendations is even if you have seen films, maybe you haven't seen them in a while, and you're encouraging me to revisit it because yes, I do remember liking it quite a bit. There's just and, and just a one more call out thing that just made me laugh. So Paul Rudd plays you know the, the, the lead in the film, but he has a brother played by Max Greenfield who are their roommates, and okay. it's like they play off the same kind of banter you would expect in a. Typical romantic comedy. The brother is always there kind of trying to give some advice, but also ribbing the brother a little bit. But then at one point in the film, for, with no no um, foreshadowing whatsoever, it breaks into this very deep family drama between the two of them, like out of nowhere. Nice. And just <laughs> it's just so funny how just it just turns on a dime, talking about their past, his past struggles and their relationship with their parents. And it just... Nice. It just... It's funny the way it's framed because it's just kept so high and light and then it just flips into this thing and it's so cliche the way it's handled, so over the top dramatic and uh, it's it's great. So I had, nice. I had a really good time with this film. It is on HBO Max right now. So if you have a subscription there, you can watch it for free. Well, watch it for your subscription. Um, but also you can rent it anywhere available online as well too. Cool. That if they suggest. came together. Yeah. Thank you for recommending it so I can, I can actually revisit Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So, okay, my recommendation, um, Alan has seen this movie. I don't believe we've recommended it on the show. I know I haven't, but um, because at the time, I think it was rather difficult to get a hold of. Um, And I I think Alan will also probably second this recommendation. However, let me say that please feel free to then go watch They Came Together after you watch this film (laughs) because it is is heavy. It's definitely one of those things that you would say is like a one-timer where you're glad you saw it. But man, is it heavy. And you're like, well, why are you recommending it? Because it is so good. I'm mm-hmm. recommending the 2021 film Mass. Um, mm-hmm. Two couples meet for a painful and raw conversation in the aftermath of a violent tragedy. Um, I remember seeing this back in 2021, and it was an incredibly tough watch, but worth the experience. And I was really hoping the ensemble cast would get some notoriety around awards time and they definitely didn't get any Oscar love. But the reason why is because basically it's four people sitting in a room talking for 111 minutes and you're like, yeah. Oh my gosh, that sounds boring. It's not. Yeah. Um, Reed Bernie and down Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton. Those four give amazing performances and somehow I was entertained for 111 minutes, even though you basically never left this room where they come together for this meeting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's shot, you know, pretty simply, but they, you know, do two shots or sometimes just close up of people's faces as they're being very emotional. And it, man, mm-hmm. is it good. And it's the yeah. type of thing where 
I'm not going to spoil anything, but you go in thinking there's definitely some good guys and some bad guys mm-hmm. or, you know, and you get in there and then you just really understand that sometimes things aren't very simple, not that simple. and there's no easy answer mm-hmm. and there's a lot of hurt, but you know, it's, it's, it's tough. Um, so there again, I'll, I'll recommend mass, not for everyone. It is a tough sit, but if you can watch it, it's worthwhile. And maybe you need to go watch. <laughs> they I, came together. It make an interesting double header just because I think you go through the <laughs> gamut of emotions, emotions. in a uh, three or four hour period. True. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I absolutely second you on mass. I mean, I, I still feel like it is one of the is one of the films that you know I, I enjoy to talk about with people, but I kind of don't want to talk about with sure. people because it is a very troubling subject. It is a very, unfortunately, a very timely subject that we're dealing with in our society. I'll, I'll just say it's about a school shooting. School that's, shooting. That's yeah. yeah so. And again, you're right. You go in with the uh, with the belief that you're going to be siding with one or another of the couples. And by the end of the movie, I think this movie does a wonderful job of helping you see the complexity yeah. of dealing with a situation like this. And I found myself putting myself in each of the four people's position and Absolutely. saying, yeah, I get it. I totally understand where their mindset is with this and why they're feeling the way they do. And I um, believe this was, I think, maybe adapted from a play. I'm not sure. I believe so. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, this is one of those instances where sometimes you say, Oh, well, I wish they would have tried something different because it felt too much like a play or, you know, you want them to, you know, use the advantages of cinema. But this one worked really well, even though it was still encapsulated one room. They didn't let you leave that room, but that was part of the point. Yeah. Um, And I thought it worked really well, even though you could say, yeah, it did kind of feel stagey like a play, but it totally, it totally totally works. And again, I think when I made this as a recommendation, all four of them are excellent. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. To me, Jason Isaacs, Stood out for me, which you would know him as playing uh, Malfoy in the Harry Potter series, yes. <laughs> the evil dad. Which again, <laughs> only because I have not got to see him play such a real character before. Sure. I don't I, that I can recall. He's always playing played the bad guy, kind of the British bad guy in a lot of films, and he is he is so good in this. I mean, all of them, yeah. all of them are excellent. Yes. But I just was really impressed by his performance. Just did not know he had that in him to to play this kind of character. So. Man, it's a it's a it's a tough watch, but it's I I don't want to say rewarding is maybe not the word, but I think it does give you a different perspective on things well, at the end of the day. And I know. will say too. Um, by the way, I want to make sure I mentioned it's available on Hulu for those okay, of you that want to seek it out. Um, I will say that you know for people that are aspiring actors, this is something to watch with. Okay, without you know getting to you know make this big journey or be out like no, it's literally just sitting and talking. But this is like. Yeah, this this is a, a showcase of acting because yeah. it's like always be a range of emotions and intensities and like doing so much with very little, you know. Well, so and all four characters, all four people had some level of development through a, a two hour film. Right. In a room. Like yes. sitting in a room with a single dialogue with a dialogue between the four. All four had some character development progression, which made it really fascinating to watch for that long. I mean the time kind of flies by just yeah. because you're so engrossed by that. So yeah. great, great call on that. Interesting double feature. I don't know <laughs> if I'm recommending that double feature to everybody necessarily, but uh, you definitely will go through some emotions on, on both sides with that. So that is mass available on Hulu. Mine is they came together available on HBO max, but both of them are ones you can still rent or purchase through Apple, through Amazon, through any of these other places as well. Right. 
Okay, Chris, well, I think we are done for today. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We're, I'm positive on. Chris is mixed on. I'm mixed. Okay. Yeah. I think mixed is probably the best word for you. So with that, uh, unbearable weight of massive talent, we are both positive on. We both had a really good time with it. Uh, the Northman, you are fairly po- uh, I'm, I'm positive. Generally positive. Yeah. 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 Kind of a, what, a, maybe a six or seven on a 10 scale. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, good enough for a recommendation from Chris on that. And then our recommendations of Mass and They Came Together. All right, Chris, if anybody has any feedback or thoughts for us or they uh, really want to take issue with some of your mm-hmm. criticism lobbied at Dr. Strange, because I know there's a lot of people out there oh, that are yeah. going to be ready to fight with you on that. Yes, probably so. Uh, how can they get a hold of us to do so? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Alan and I are also on Letterboxd, where we try to track what we're seeing and sometimes leave uh, short reviews. You can give us a star rating or write a review, and that will help us reach more listeners, which we'd really appreciate on whatever service you happen to receive your favorite podcasts on. Foot Candle Film Festival. We've mentioned it. It's our little baby that we have every year in uh, Hickory, North Carolina. This will be the eighth year that we will be having the festival. It's going to be held September 21st through the 25th. We hope you can come join us. Um, If not, if you live in the state of North Carolina, we're hoping to have a lot of the features be streamed if you're not going to actually be able to make the trip. If you are a filmmaker and you're listening to our podcast, the final submission deadline is June 1st. So uh, if you want to submit to our festival, be sure to get your work in. All right. That's we're looking forward to a great festival this year here in Western North Carolina. We'd be looking forward to having you join us and we will be uh, making films available online as well within the state of North Carolina. So if you live in North Carolina, but you can't make it to the festival in person, there will be some uh, online film opportunities to join us that way virtually as well. All right, Chris, well, we're going to go and wrap this up then. Thanks everybody for listening. We will look forward to talking to everybody next time we get together here on foot candle films on the mesh.tv. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.